Okay, it has been too long since I've done an episode. I am so excited to like get back in the game. Um, I've, I've definitely missed um, having people on the show. Um, and today I'm joined with Mr. Mac McDaniel, which he actually knows um, Annabeth Clark, which was on the show not too long ago. Um, so if you haven't listened to that episode, I definitely recommend you listen to that because there was actually a lot of good that came out of that conversation. We talked about just like reading and just like, since she's a high school teacher, we also talked about just her curriculum and how she approaches teaching literature to her students. And it was really interesting because after we had that podcast, she actually um, texted me. She was like, wow, like that conversation we had was really like enlightening. And it made, it moved me so much that she actually like changed her curriculum um, so I thought it was really interesting, like, wow, just like her having that conversation with former students and just like college students, like made her like change her whole curriculum because it kind of gave her that aspect of, okay, like, let me, it gave her an insight of like what her students almost think because um, we're, we're young students, you know, some of us don't really care about reading and like when she kind of got our perspective of like what we learned from her as a student and also like what we know about people our age um it was really interesting that it moved her to the point where like she changed her like entire curriculum um so there's definitely some good that came out of that so i encourage you to go listen to that um and then she also recommended that i sit down and have a conversation with mr mac mcdaniel which just um before the show we were just talking about a couple of things and you seem like a really cool and interesting guy and i would i'm so excited for this episode um, so you said you have a day job that you like talk to uh, a bunch of people. Like, so w what does that entail really? What is your day job? Uh, my day job is I'm a hairstylist. I've been doing hair for just about, about 10 years now. And that's actually how I met Annabeth, uh, was Annabeth was one of my hair clients. Um, and you know, I, uh, you know, when you're, when somebody's sitting in your chair and you're doing their hair for two or three hours at a time, you, you have to carry on a conversation. Otherwise it gets very boring. And, um, you know, I, I asked Annabeth, you know, what she did for a living. And she mm -hmm. said, you know, I'm a high school English teacher and I do a lot of Shakespeare education work. And so, you know, we just connected immediately about literature and about Shakespeare. Um, and she ended up referring me to the school she was working at at the time, St. Mm -hmm. Margaret's uh, school. And they brought me, uh, out to the school as a guest speaker to teach some uh, of the English classes to to do some Shakespeare education work. And I, I've been uh, making an annual visit to St. Margaret's for, uh, well, this year I taught, um, or I guess last year in 2020, I taught at St. Margaret's, but it was all virtual. Mm -hmm. But that was my, my fifth year teaching Shakespeare at St. Margaret's. So uh, Annabeth started out as a, a hair client who then, you know, connected me with her the school she was working at and um and that has been a really great relationship between me and St. Margaret's like teaching there uh for the last five years yeah I think that's really cool I've always thought about this because I'm the type of person to go to get a haircut and not say a word um I've gotten better at it as I've gotten older like I've tried to like lighten the mood just say a couple of thoughts here and there um i'm getting better but i'm still like not at that point of like having a full-on conversation the entire time but i'm sure like i think that's super cool in that like i i and i've always wondered why i was hesitant about that because i love talking to people i love like hearing people's story and all that i think i've just been hesitant just because like, oh, like, I'm already kind of, like, in a bad mood because, like, I have to get a haircut. Like, this this is a hassle. Like, I don't, like, I just want my hair to, I, I just want this to be, like, a two-minute thing and, like, I'm out. Like, I don't really want to get a haircut. It's just, like, another chore that I have to do. So, I think I'm already in that, like, that mood of, like, I don't really want to be here, but I have to do this. Like, just get it over with. Um, well, I, I, can, I can tell you that people who don't like to talk when they get their hair cut are actually kind of a blessing to us. Cause you know, I have to talk to people for like eight hours straight every day. And so the occasional quiet client <laughs> who doesn't want to talk, who gives me a chance to like rest my voice and just 
quietly do my job is actually is is a thing that I look forward to. So don't feel like you have to engage, especially if it's just a haircut. You know, <laughs> men's haircuts like thirty, maybe forty. Yeah, yeah, years. yeah. But you know, I was doing you know highlights and a haircut on Annabeth, so she was in my chair for like three plus hours, <laughs> sitting silently for three hours. True. Is a okay. Awkward. Yes, I could see that. So like, I'm sure you've had so many conversations with a wide array of different people. So like, I don't know, from just having those countless experiences, I know like in my limited experiences, I've only had this podcast for about a year now and I've talked to like various different kinds of people and it's really opened my eyes to like, whoa, like not everyone thinks like I do, like what is going on? Um, And it just made me realize like, we're just so complex and like everyone is so different and have like their own passions and like it's just crazy to think about like how many people are in this world and every even each one of those people is so complex in their own way um how and especially since you're like you, you talk about like shakespeare and you're like really you're into literature what has that experience of like talking to all these people while also like being like passionate about Shakespeare and literature, how has that formed your view on just human nature and just how we operate as people? Oh, that's a big question. Um, I think my, my experiences with Shakespeare give me a very different idea of the nature of humanity than my experiences behind the chair. Um, Cause you know, like, like I was saying before, you know, we had a little bit of a chat before we started recording and, you know, I'd say 90% of the people that sit in my chair don't really seem to be passionate about anything. Mm. Um, and so my experiences behind the chair can sometimes be a little disappointing because you really, you want to have meaningful conversations. I mean, I know yeah. you understand the need to have meaningful conversations. That's why you have a podcast. And and I, I wish that people wanted to engage in a more meaningful way, like when I was, you know, when we're chit-chatting in the mm-hmm. salon, but it seems like 90% of the people that sit in my chair, they, they work their day jobs and then they, they, they go home and they watch Netflix. Right, right. And then on the weekends, they, they drink and then they just repeat that cycle over and over again. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, always, I'm always super excited when I have somebody in my chair who is passionate about something, you know, even if it's a thing that I have no interest in, no experience with, um, you know, I just, I cut the hair just recently of a, of a geologist Mm -hmm. and he was talking to me about, you know, geology. Yeah. He he was telling me that he, um, he lived in Atlanta for a bit and he said that pretty much anywhere in Atlanta, if you dig three feet down into the ground, you will find a thin layer of ash from when, you know, General Sherman burned the city to the ground during the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, yeah, like anywhere in Atlanta, you dig three feet down, you find a thin layer of ash that's like just still like Sherman, like yeah. Sherman was here, you know? And that's fascinating. That's that super is fascinating. Uh, and that's a thing that not only would I not have known if I didn't cut the hair of a geologist, but also like if anybody else told me that other than a geologist <laughs> there, I'd be like, ah, bullshit. Like, I don't, I don't believe you. That's not yeah. real. Um, that's, you know, that's like a myth or something, but like, yeah, this dude, you know, that's his area of expertise. He lived there, he worked there. Um, so yeah, you know, it's, it's, it is always super exciting to meet somebody when I'm, when I'm behind the chair to meet somebody who has an interesting experience or an interesting passion. Um, I just, in my experiences that that's frustratingly rare. Um, Mm. and so I, you know, and it could just be that, I am just not the kind of person that people open up to. Um, I maybe I just don't have that that personality type because you know some people are just sure yeah more open and welcoming and warm for whatever reason. Yes, for that. sure. Um, and so it might just be that people don't feel comfortable necessarily opening up to me. Um, you know that could be the case, or it could be just that you know most people that sit in my chair are are you know void of like serious passion which i i don't want to believe i don't i don't want to believe that people are not passionate um 
but uh, my, my experiences with, with Shakespeare give me a very different view because, you know, all the, you can't really write a play about a character who doesn't care about anything, you know, mm -hmm. like um, characters in Shakespeare have large feelings and large psyches and big passions and they are interesting and complex and driven in, in larger than life ways. Um, and because they are larger than life characters, they are, they're larger than what you encounter in, in, yeah. everyday, in everyday life. So, and I, and I do think that there are some people that are just live their entire life at this, at the surface level where they just do this cycle of life where they never really stop to like really either ponder like what is going on in their life or like they just don't really try to like find something they're like super passionate and they just do this mundane cycle of life you know I'm gonna do what society tells me I'm gonna go to college you know get a job and basically survive rather than find something they've are really passionate about and maybe that requires them to take a risk to take a chance and some people are, aren't willing to take that chance and like go for it so i do believe there are some people that do just constantly live on that surface level which is like <clears throat> so sad because like there's so many sometimes i just find myself just like thinking for like, I could just sit in my chair and just like think about like what is actually going, let me like pause, like what is actually going on in my life at this moment, you know? And I'll like think about all these like complex things or like, am I doing the right thing? Am I like, am I happy? Or like some people just kind of like don't, they can't sit in their own thoughts, you know? And that's something, that's definitely a trend that I've seen more and more, especially with younger people, people my age were like, they don't have that in attention span, which is like mine. But I, I know people like that can't sit through a movie because like they don't have the attention span to like sit through a movie. I'm like, what is like, you can't even sit through a movie where it's like supposed to be entertaining yet. Like you don't have that attention span to even like just sit there. And like, it's just very weird for me to like think about living life that way. It's just like, ah, oh, like there's so much more than just, going on to the next thing I just sometimes it's good to like take a pause and be like let me think about like what I'm actually doing you know um so you talked a lot about Shakespeare um so I assume that's like something you're passionate about or something that you so something that is like life-giving to you something that brings you happiness and joy um to kind of I want to is that would that would you say that's true yeah I would say that uh Shakespeare is my my raison d'etre, you know, I don't, I don't speak French, but you know. Yeah. So like what got you into that? Um, you know, it's, it's kind of a, kind of a slow build uh, process of me getting into Shakespeare. It wasn't like a, like a light bulb moment, you know, um, it wasn't like a Eureka mm -hmm. moment. For me. Uh, the, I, I say the, the simplest way to explain how I got into Shakespeare um, two things one i grew up watching a lot of star trek love star uh, trek yeah my dad was a huge trekkie i grew up watching uh star trek the next generation that was my dad. captain picard yes. gotta, gotta love him sir yeah. patrick yeah you gotta love him sir patrick he's he's he's, he's the best um, and he did shakespeare okay so i can i can kind of see it keep going yeah and um so my first encounters with shakespeare were through watching Star Trek. Um, and I think that's a, that's a principal difference between my initial encounters with Shakespeare and other people's initial encounters with Shakespeare. Most people's first encounter with Shakespeare is in the classroom mm -hmm. where they are told that he is this brilliant writer from far in the past. And they get this idea of this musty, dusty, old, Englishman in a like ruffled collar and they think of Shakespeare very much as as part of the past yes and for me my first encounter with Shakespeare was seeing you know the the crew of the starship enterprise staging Henry V on the holodeck 
Oh, okay. I remember that episode. Yeah, The Defector. It's one of the best episodes of TNG. Or um, in season two of The Next Generation, The Measure of a Man, the scientist who wants to disassemble the android data, Yeah. he pulls a book off of Data's bookshelf and reads a random quote, and it's Sonnet 29. Um, when in disgrace with fortune in men's eyes, I all alone beweep my outcast state. Uh, you know, there are, you know, in the TOS episode, The Conscience of the King, there's a, a mass murdering genocidal uh, dictator who has fled justice and disguised himself as a Shakespearean actor who's traveling the galaxy performing in Macbeth and King Lear. Is that, um, is that Q, right? Uh, no, this is in uh, TOS. It's in the original series, The Conscience of the King. Uh, Kodos the Executioner was the governor of a planet that had a, an extreme famine. And in order to save some of the population, he executed a large portion of the population so that there would be enough food left for them. Mm, okay. Aired. And then, gotcha. of course, uh, you know, that that's all in the backstory of the episode. Right. And then Kodos the Executioner managed to escape justice for his for his crime and what he did to like hide was become a Shakespearean actor and then Captain Kirk sees a production of I think it's Macbeth or King Lear they I think it's yeah it's Macbeth he sees a production of Macbeth on a planet mm -hmm. and and looks at the actor playing Macbeth and is like I think that's Constitution <laughs> or this like fugitive from justice um, all of that to say my first experiences with Shakespeare were that Shakespeare was part of the future, that- Oh, I see, I gotcha. You know, and the, the conceit of Star Trek, the thing that makes Star Trek my favorite science fiction franchise is it's a, it's a, it's a franchise built on hope and optimism for a better future. So mm -hmm. much of sci-fi is about post-apocalyptic, everything is, is going to get worse and worse, people are going to become more and more violent and awful. And the future depicted in Star Trek was that people were going to get better and, and more egalitarian and more empathetic and more scientific and just better people. Yeah. And, and in that future, Shakespeare would become not just the premier poet of the English speaking world as he is now, in the future depicted on Star Trek, Shakespeare would become the premier poet of the human race. Mm. Um, and, and that was a very compelling thing for me as somebody who is like, Star Trek is so, has defined so much of how I, Star Trek has really defined the direction of my intellectual and mental growth. That's amazing. How old were you when like when this I, all started, when you started like watching Star Trek and like, oh, Shakespeare? So I grew up watching Star Trek. And so my first encounters with, with Shakespeare were on Star Trek when I was little. But mm -hmm. it was in my like early 20s when I, I sat down and decided. So a couple of things happened all at once in my, in my like early 20s. Uh, I decided to sit down and watch all of Star Trek start to finish, which mm -hmm. like I had grown up watching Star Trek, but it was like when it was on television. Right, so you know, so yeah. Here and there, I had never actually sat down and watched all like every episode of every series like in a row okay so sat down to like binge all of star trek around the same time i also i got bookworm tattooed across my knuckles mm -hmm. i've always been a big reader and as soon as i got bookworm tattooed across my knuckles i became very insecure about all of the classics i had not read okay because i imagined that i would be at a party or something and somebody would be like oh you have bookworm tattooed across your knuckles have you read <laughs> x y and z like have you yeah read, have you read anna karenina have you read you know king lear have you know like have you read ulysses have you read i just and so right, I became, the classics yeah i became very insecure about all the things i had not read and so i then because i was insecure about my new knuckle tattoos i decided i needed to go back and and kind of brush up on my classics and because I happened to be watching Star Trek at the same time, I thought, mm -hmm. okay, well, the classics I should start with should be Shakespeare. And so I, I sat down initially to just read kind of the greatest hits collection. Right. Um, R&J, Macbeth, 
Twelfth Night. And then I expected that I would read the greatest hits and then I would stop. But then after reading like those like top 10 plays, I just fell in love with the way Shakespeare uses language and then just read all the rest of the plays. And then after reading all the plays, I thought, well, these were written for performance. I should also see them performed. Yes. But I was too broke to buy theater tickets. <laughs> so I, I reached out to the local Shakespeare theater company and offered to do some volunteer work in exchange for free tickets. I, you know, I said, I'll, I'll hang posters, I'll build sets, I'll, you know, whatever. Whatever you need. Yeah. And so I started volunteering with uh, what was then called Richmond Shakespeare. I'm here in Richmond, Virginia. Okay. Uh, I started volunteering with what was then called Richmond Shakespeare. They have since changed their name to Quill Theater. And I, I spent a few months just kind of helping out with very like selling concessions and building sets and whatever, uh, styling hair for promotional posters and stuff. And the artistic director at the time, Jan Powell, took note of me. She's like, you know, who's this like, guy who's always at everything that we do like who's this like who mm -hmm. are you like what's your deal and I said you know like I'm a new Shakespeare enthusiast I'm, I'm just getting really interested in Shakespeare and she really brought me took me under her wing brought me into the fold started inviting me to rehearsals and read-throughs she asked me to start helping her cut scripts for performance um and so I then, you know, kind of expanded the work I was doing in the world of Shakespeare from like the kind of grunt work of building sets and hanging posters to more intellectual work, like cutting scripts. And then eventually I started helping out with some of the, the education programming, teaching like uh, drama camps for like children. And then I like assistant directed under Jan for a bit. Um, and so, yeah, I just kind of, I say that Shakespeare didn't, it wasn't like a eureka moment where a light bulb went on. It was more like Shakespeare kind of grew on me like a moss, you know? Um, and so it happened very slowly, but I, the, the whole, the start for me was, was Star Trek. That's like where my impulse to, to, to encounter, to deal with, to, to grapple with this really great language, it all started with with the world of with the world of star trek <laughs> um yeah i think that's really i would have never guessed that your love for shakespeare came from star trek like obviously like yeah i now that you bring it up like yeah i do remember i've, I've only seen the next generation and like yeah, i watched it all the way through um but that's the only star trek series that i've seen um, and I do remember some of the moments where they did inter uh, introduce like Shakespeare in a couple episodes. Um, and then it's just so interesting how like you go from Star Trek to Shakespeare. It's just like, I would have never made that connection. And I don't think, I don't think anyone would have guessed that connection. Like, were you, were you like, were you like a theater kid back in like high school or anything like that? No, I never, I never did theater. I was always a literature guy. I never like, I never performed, I never took drama classes, I, I didn't act. I only just recently, very recently started acting myself. Um, for me, Shakespeare was, was literature first. Um, but about a little over a year ago, I started a Shakespeare theater company. I left Quill Theater to start my own Shakespeare theater company called Elsewhere Shakespeare. And, and the our very first performance our very first production was the very first time i had ever acted in my life um so i went from being just a literature guy to starting a theater company i started my own theater company before i had ever acted for the first time which is i don't think most i don't think most people go, go in that order <laughs> right i don't think most people go from star trek to shakespeare either uh, that's so I remember the first time um, I watched a Shakespearean play, um, the local Shakespeare um, theater like came to our school um, and they, I can't even remember which play it was, but I remember like being absolutely like intrigued and moved and like, that was the first time I realized like, whoa, like maybe plays aren't boring, you know, like this is like, I could 
see myself like going to plays for like entertainment and like I really this was this had to be like maybe like ninth grade I wasn't even that old um but like I grew up going to like the Nutcracker plays and like the first act would be like oh this is so cool and then like I'd fall asleep the second half you're like oh this is so boring like what happened to like the big rat and like what there's there's like no more fighting like I'm I'm over it you know so I like kind of had that view on plays of like oh like sometimes they're interesting but overall like not for me not like very interesting and then I watched the once I got a little older maybe maybe that was it maybe I had to grow up a little bit I got a little older, watched a Shakespeare play, and like, whoa, this is cool. Um, And now I like, yeah, I definitely see the value in plays. I know like some people, especially, I feel like, I feel like now, like definitely, plays have always kind of been on the decline. Um, And I think that's still the trend of like, people aren't like really going to as many plays as they were before. But I definitely like, see the value in it I, I think I do genuinely find them entertaining and it's there's just something about having like like having like physical people like sh- in front of you and you can like sure in movies you can see the emotion but like it's different when you can almost like you can feel that emotion especially if if like they're great actually like, you can feel that emotion like you can see it it's just so realistic and just so real compared to a movie yes there are many great movies that are really moving and really do evoke emotion but like plays are just like on another level in that like it's like happening right in front of you so I think that there are I think a lot of people like may have never thought about seeing a play um and I definitely encourage if you haven't and you're listening like just go check it out one time. Just see if you like it. I think, because I feel like, especially now, except for like younger people, people my age, there's almost this like, I wouldn't say negative connotation to plays, but there's like, oh, like those are boring. Like we're not going to go, we're going to go to the movies. We're going to eat some popcorn and have a good time. But like there, there's never, I've, I've never in my whole like high school life or even my young college life had anyone be like, let's go watch a play. You know, that has never come up. And I, I think, and I and just, I forgot how I felt about plays just because it's been so long to even have the opportunity to go to a play. But this has just reminded me of like the feelings that I have felt watching a couple of plays, even just like my school productions in high school like they aren't even like the best productions but like I still like really enjoyed them so like definitely having I, I, I'm having it all at once now like I totally forgot how like I actually do enjoy going to plays so I'm definitely I need to like go see a play soon um, but yeah I think I, I if you're listening and you haven't ever seen a play in your entire life I definitely encourage you because like it was definitely not what I was expecting when I first saw a play and I think you may be surprised because like it is another level of entertainment that you can't get from a movie. Yeah, there's a there's an there's an immediacy to to live theater, and it's also there in the same way that not all films are the same. And you may like one kind of film, but you may not like another kind of film. Um, you may like some kinds of theater, either some particular kinds of plays or some particular methods of staging, because I think people may be unaware of the real, real spectrum of performance. And I'm, I'm speaking just about Shakespeare here, because like I said, I'm, I was never a theater person. I'm a Shakespeare guy. Like I don't know my Ibsen and my Chekhov and my Shaw. I certainly don't know my Tennessee Williams and you know, like Tyler Perry and like all the, like, there's a lot of, there's a very wide spectrum of live theater. And I just know just about this one little, one little niche. But even just in the world of Shakespeare, you have what I think most people would think about when they think about Shakespearean theater. So they think about a big proscenium theater where the audience is dark 
and the stage is lit and there's a, a very clear distinction between audience and actor. Um, that's not the kind of Shakespeare that I like to go see. Um, the Shakespeare that I like to go see is, is a lot closer to the way that Shakespeare would have staged his plays in 1600. Um, if you've ever seen photos of the Globe Theater where Shakespeare staged most of his plays, or if you've ever lucky enough to have ever been to the Globe, you know that one, it's an open air theater and they perform in the afternoon. Um, and they're, and because they are performing in the open air in the afternoon, the actors can see the audience just as well as the audience can see the actors. And so Shakespeare would have, Shakespeare kept the audience in mind as another character in the story. Um, we have this weird idea, especially in the 21st century that that theater's happening behind what we call the fourth wall, that like the audience can see into what's happening, but the actors, the characters in the story can't see out. Um, that's not at all how Shakespeare intended his plays to be performed. Uh, Shakespeare really had the actors constantly speaking directly to the audience. Um, and so my theater company, uh, we're brand new and we only had the opportunity to stage one production before before COVID shot us down. Um, but our production was like, audience interaction was really baked into, into the performance from, from day one. Um, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think that Shakespearean theater is meant to be as polite and quiet as people think it is. Um, I think the actors should be able to see the audience because the actors need, like, if think about Hamlet. Hamlet has these really great long, we call them soliloquies, but they're basically just speeches kind of to yourself. Um, one actor is alone on stage speaking to themselves. And that can be very boring if the actor is looking up at the sky or kind of talking and directing everything inward. But if you go to see a Shakespeare play and you're sitting in the audience and all the lights are on, like either you're outdoors at the Globe or you're in like the Blackfriars Playhouse in Stanton, Virginia, where they keep all the lights on so that everybody can see one another. And you're sitting there in the front row and the actor playing Hamlet comes out, walks to the end of the stage, looks you in your eyes and says, to be or not to be, that is the question. There is, there is an emotional connection that comes with that eye contact, with that, with that acknowledgement that you are in the space, you are part of the story. Um, that, is, that is a kind of connection that you don't get at the cinema. And it's a kind of connection you don't get in like a proscenium theater where the audience is in the darkness and the actors can't see them. Um, and so I think Shakespeare intended his plays to be interactive. And so my company elsewhere, the way we stage things is we try as much as possible to just drag the audience kicking and screaming into the performance. So we, uh, we staged Hamlet and there is one very small part in our, in our production of Hamlet. There's one small part that we didn't have an actor for. And so at the top of that scene, I came out and asked for an audience volunteer to play a walk-on part in our show. And they were gonna have one line and I had it written down for them on a little cue card. And so like, we just like forced the audience to, to get involved in the show by just having a character who had no actor to play them. And we're like, the day of the show, we're gonna, we're gonna ask for an audience volunteer. And if nobody volunteers, then the show is just over at that point. Cause we can't move forward without having somebody speak these lines. And we were like, we have no idea. We didn't, we didn't plant somebody in the audience, like, yeah. you know, a friend of ours. We weren't like, okay, you got to be ready to, you know, we didn't plant anyone. We were like, whoever says, you know, says yes, whoever raises their hand, they're part of the show now. Um, they're going to come on stage and get, and get poisoned and get murdered. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, later at the end of the show, like towards the end of the show, we had another moment. Um, we were performing in a, in a venue that had a bar mm -hmm. in the back. And there's a moment towards the end of Hamlet where you have two grave diggers and 
the last line that Gravedigger 1 says to Gravedigger 2 is, go fetch me a stoop of liquor, which is, you know, go get me a drink, go get, right. me, a bottle, go get me a bottle of beer or something. And we, uh, my company performs our shows in 90 minutes, which means we have to cut a lot of text from the plays because the plays are really long. Mm -hmm. And in order to fit them down into 90 minutes, we cut a lot, of, a lot of lines, we delete a lot of words. And I decided to cut the second gravedigger from the scene. And so the actor playing the first gravedigger, my, my brilliant friend Katie, had to engage with an audience member as gravedigger too. Mm -hmm. And then, and then Katie said to the audience member, go and fetch me a stoop of liquor. And the audience member just sat there. And then she said, fetch me a stoop of liquor. Yeah. She like pointed back at the bar and the audience member just looked around nervously and everybody in the audience was like, what is going on? <laughs> she was like, fetch me a stoop of liquor. And then the audience member like, get, like nervously got up in the middle of the show, walked to the back, got her a beer and then she performed the rest of the scene drinking a beer. And it's just like, we didn't, we didn't change any of the words in Shakespeare. I mean, mm -hmm. we, we cut some of them obviously, because yeah. if, you, if you run Hamlet uncut, it's about four and a half hours long. And even I don't want to watch a four and a half hour play. Right. But we didn't have to change any of the words. We just removed some, but then we just played with the text as it was written and just tried to stage it in a way that really brought the audience into the, mo into the, into the, into the story. Mm -hmm. And it was super engaging. It was super fun. It was very interactive. And that's the kind of, the kind of theater that I think I enjoy most. And also it is the kind of theater that, that presents a, a, a meaningful alternative to going to the cinema. Cause yes. if you go to the movies, like going to the movies is, like if you go to a proscenium theater, and if I don't know if you know what a proscenium theater is, but basically a proscenium theater is is you know when there's a hard like horizontal divide between the the stage and the audience, okay. as opposed to like a thrust where the audience wraps around the stage, you know. Okay. Yeah. Um, and a proscenium theater is a lot like going to the cinema because there is this really clear divide. Right. They keep the audience dark. And the, the expectation is that if you're in the dark, you're sitting quietly and listening right. yes. watching in this very passive way. And so going to a theater, like a proscenium theater, is just like going to the cinema, except that the effects aren't as good. Whereas if you go to like one of our shows, an elsewhere production or a production like at the American Shakespeare Center in Stanton, that's like mutual collaborative storytelling where you know you can expect an actor to acknowledge your existence to look you in the eye when they're speaking to you to to occasionally drag you into a joke to hand you a prop to hold for them for a moment or you know and it's that kind of connection that kind of human connection and acknowledgement is something you don't get at the cinema and it's something you don't get in a proscenium theater and that is i think what makes some Shakespearean theater really amazing and really engaging. And that's something that we really strive to do with, with my company. That, that sounds super cool. And I would love to like, uh, if I'm in, I was, I wasn't, I was, I just drove through Richmond not too long ago. Um, like literally like three or four days ago, but like you, yes, just like ha hearing that, has like motivated me to like go and explore like plays more like try to find a play like because that experience that you portrayed to me was like I want to be a part of that like I want to experience that <clears throat> so I think it's like I love the fact that well okay in the in the theater company that you were with before you started your own did they kind of try to incorporate that same kind of environment with incorporating the audience yes and no um the company that i was with before quill theater um quill doesn't have their own theater building so they perform at different 
spaces. Mm -hmm. And so some theater spaces, like some theaters they perform in are proscenium theaters where there, there isn't, it isn't easy because of the architectural layout of the mm -hmm. space. Yeah. It's not easy to incorporate the audience in the production. Um, but some spaces they perform in do allow that kind of permeable barrier between the audience mm -hmm. and, and, and the, uh, and the performance. Um, so, you know, I saw when Quill last did Hamlet, this brilliant Hamlet named Molly Hood, and she was always acknowledging the audience's mm. presence in the performance. Like there's a line in a Hamlet where Hamlet says, I have heard that guilty creatures sitting at a play have been so struck by the action on stage that they have confessed their, their, their crimes. I'm paraphrasing here. I don't remember right. the line, but it's, I have heard that guilty creatures sitting at a play and Molly came out to the edge of the stage and said, I have heard the guilty creatures sitting at a play. And then she paused and just kind of like mm -hmm. indicated like all of us, like, like all of you, very, very guilty people sitting at this play. Mm -hmm. Um, and there was another moment, the, the, the Hamlet that I'm referring to uh, that Quill did was performed outdoors in the summer. And it was one of the years when the cicadas, you know, like cicadas yeah. have a weird like hibernation life cycle where right. some years there's a bumper crop of cicadas. And that was one of the years and they had just a ton of cicadas. And there was a cicada that flew and landed in like in the aisle in the in the seats like out in the audience mm -hmm. and just landed in the middle and was just like screeching <laughs> like right through one of molly's speeches and molly just stopped because <laughs> like everybody turned and looked at the cicada <laughs> and, and molly just stopped and just kind of like looked at her watch and kind of tapped her foot like okay there's a cicada let me yeah um you know and it's it's that kind of acknowledgement and interaction even in those little ways that makes going to the theater, in my opinion, more engaging and more fun than going to see a movie. And I love going to see movies. Like mm -hmm. I've, I've seen every Marvel movie <laughs> opening weekend for the last 12 years. Like, Amazing. I, I was there at the 10 p.m. showing of Endgame. You know, I like got off work early to get to the theater, to line up, to get good seats in the theater that was playing Endgame. Um, so, you know, I'm not somebody that hates movies. I love movies, but mm -hmm. there is a kind of connection that goes with live theater when done right. Because, of course, there is very boring, non-engaging theater, just like there, there are boring movies. Yeah. But when theater is done right, it's all about connection and acknowledgement, you know? And I think that's something that people really want I, at least I hope they want that you know they want to feel human they want to feel connected to other people uh you know especially after after COVID I feel like once you know once we've got everyone vaccinated and and herd immunity is kicked in and things are returning to normal I think everybody's going to be very very excited to like go see live music and go see live theater and just like be in a room with other people mm, yeah for sure so I'd love to hear your like thoughts on like, because you've kind of gone through the whole cycle of like, you know, the experiences of reading the literature of Shakespeare, you know, the experiences of being an audience member and watching the plays. And now, and now you have the limited experience of, uh, acting out Shakespeare and even the experience of like, directing and knowing what what goes into just the logistics of like putting on a play and so like were you like I guess this progression of from just being a reader to like an audience audience member to like an actor like were you just so like enthralled in this where you just like kept wanting more from it yeah I mean it's you know, when I teach and, and people ask, you know, like, why, why Shakespeare? Like, why do you continue to work in the world of Shakespeare? Like, because there are some things where there are some authors or, 
you know, not even just limiting it to books, but some, you know, like, I don't know, video games or movies or whatever, where you can, you can watch or experience the whole, ca the whole canon that's available and then be done with it. You know, like you can, I don't know if you're a Kira Kurosawa fan and you really like his movies, you, you could maybe watch all of his films and then feel like, okay, I'm done. I've watched them all. Mm, yeah. I've completed it. But the, the great, the really great media, the really great music, the really great films, the really great books are the things that you discover new things about it every time you come back to it. And so every time I reread Romeo and Juliet, I come, I come back with different ideas and different answers and different themes and different things that I care about. And then especially when I see it or when I listen to it on an audiobook or when I like practice a monologue or, you know, do a scene study in an acting class about Romeo and Juliet. Every time I come back to it, I discover new things about it. And especially when I come back to it from a different angle, because reading it is very different than seeing it is very different than performing it. Um, in, and it is very different than listening to it in, on, on an audiobook. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I've read all the plays, I've read the whole canon three or four times now. And so now, lately when I come back to the plays and I want to experience them, I have a, a really good audiobook collection where the plays were all recorded by actors from the Royal Shakespeare Company. And that's what I've been doing just to kind of hearing the words without any kind of visual component mm -hmm. is a different experience than just reading the words, which is a different experience than seeing the play staged live. And so I think Shakespeare is just that good that you find new and different things about the about the words depending on how you experience them whether you're reading them listening to them seeing them performed or whether you are speaking them yourself um a good example the very first like acting class that i took was just a couple of years ago i took a a weekend act a weekend shakespearean acting workshop with this company called shakespeare and company mm -hmm. and to prepare for the class, I had to memorize a monologue. And I chose one of my favorite monologues, which is Edmund, the bastard son of Gloucester from King Lear. It's a very famous speech. It begins, thou nature art my goddess, to thy law my services are bound. And I have read, I've seen, I have taught King Lear. I know that speech inside and out. And when I started learning it and memorizing it for performance, I saw the speech in a totally different light than I had ever seen it, reading it like as literature. Because mm. when you read those words on the page, the, there's a line Edmund says, basically to give you a little pretext, a uh, little context, uh, Edmund is the, the younger bastard son of the Earl of Gloucester. And because he is the younger son and the bastard son, that means that he is not going to get any inheritance from his father. He's not going to get any titles, any land, any money. He's basically on his own once his father dies and his brother becomes the Earl of Gloucester. Um, and Edmund gives this speech wherein he says, it's, it's not right for me to be deprived of my inheritance simply because I'm younger and simply because my, my parents were not married. Um, he says that he is more entitled and he is a better version of his father, like, that he's a, a, a more worthy man because his parents slept together and conceived him because they were legitimately attracted to each other. Mm -hmm. And he thinks that that union based on like actual animal attraction creates a stronger offspring than his brother, Edgar, who was conceived by parents who were married, but weren't super attracted to each other physically. Right. And so 
Edmund has this line, he says, wherefore should I stand in the plague of custom and permit the curiosity of nations to deprive me for that I am some 12 or 14 moonshines lag of a brother. What that means is like, why should I allow the rules of society to dictate what I deserve in life? As opposed to, you know, the rules of society as opposed to the rules of nature. And when I was studying that speech as literature, the words that really stood out to me, the, the one word that really stood out to me was the word stand. Uh, wherefore should I stand in the plague of custom? And the thing that really grabbed me about that word stand was that stand was also what in the Renaissance, like highway robbers would say to people they were about to rob. Like you'd be walking through a forest or between towns and then like a bandit would jump out and would say stand. And then that meant basically, you know, freeze and, you know, give up mm. your, give up your gold. And so when I was analyzing that speech as literature, the word stand is what really grabbed me because it, it, it echoed like what a robber, what a bandit, what a thief would say. And Edmund feels like he is being robbed of his inheritance. And so that is what, that is the word that I really fixated on when I was analyzing that speech as literature. But when I started memorizing it for performance and I tried to, with my voice, emphasize the word stand because in my mind, that was the most important word. It, it just didn't sound right. But mm -hmm. what did sound good was to emphasize all those first person pronouns, like I and me. Um, and so analyzing and reading the speech as literature gave me one perspective on what Edmund is trying to say. And it's very much tied up in ideas about him being robbed by society. Mm -hmm. But when I was memorizing the speech for performance, it gave me a totally different viewpoint that Edmund is almost like a, like a petulant child throwing a tantrum, like I, 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 me, 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 mm -hmm. you know, those kind of, those kind of first person pronouns are what really jumped out to me as a performance choice, which is very different than what if I was writing like say a college paper for a literature class, mm -hmm. I would analyze the speech in a very, very different way. And I think that the real Edmund, the character, is somewhere in between those two extremes. And I think that's one of the wonderful things about Shakespeare's language is it's so, it rewards revisiting, mm. you know, looking at it from different angles and thinking about it in different ways. And so there are some people who like really like to read Shakespeare. They like to sit silently in their house with a book and they read Shakespeare. And there are some people who find reading Shakespeare super boring but seeing Shakespeare live or performing Shakespeare live to be really engaging and really fun. And I don't think there's any wrong way to encounter Shakespeare. I love to read Shakespeare silently at home with a book and a cup of coffee. And I also really like to see Shakespeare and I really like to perform Shakespeare. And you know, for me, there is no wrong way to encounter, to encounter Shakespeare's language. And yeah, I think, I've never really thought about that, but I think that's very interesting. And I, and I think the reason why I've never really thought about that was because I've never tried to do Shakespeare other than just reading it as literature. Um, but I think that is definitely true. I like what you said about like, especially when you're performing it, like you are embodying that character. So you really have to like take on that character as yourself and like really dive into it where like whenever you're reading, you don't, you're not really embodying a certain character. You're kind of just reading it as a story almost. And I think it's really interesting that when you really do like, okay, I'm going to like really take on this one character and like really become all of this one character's attributes and characteristics and just like how he is and like his backstory and like really dive into it. I think it does definitely give you a better understanding and you look at it in a different light um i think that's something that i've never really thought about but it does it makes perfect sense to me it's really interesting and i and i am now like understanding more of like why i could i could totally see why 
someone would would enjoy like becoming another character and really like acting that out and like having fun with it even and like enjoying that and and I think because yeah as you said you're kind of looking at it at different perspectives whenever you are just reading it or whenever you are listening it to an audiobook or like actually performing it and that's why I've never really been particular about audiobooks was because like I felt more passive I didn't feel like I was really like in the story as much as when I would actively like read the words off the page but I, I so I, I could I really I could totally relate on that aspect of like an audiobook versus like reading it it's definitely a different experience and I, I've just never really thought about correlating that to reading it and then acting it out and I think yeah you have a different understanding and a better understanding and I like how you you said like yeah like the characters probably in between those two extremes of like from a literature aspect and from an acting perspective I think that makes perfect sense and it's just I'm just really I'm still like processing it because like it's just it's just so cool to think how like just a piece of literature and that's almost all that I've viewed Shakespeare before has so many different aspects that you can look at it from and each aspect is a different experience and it like makes me want to like oh like I want to try out this experience to see if I like like it even more like and it's just like super cool that you you've had the opportunity to like experience that firsthand and to like share that with me because like I would have never like thought about that before so like I'm just still like oh like this is so cool like just like hearing you talk about that has like really moved me in a way where it's like oh like I want I want to invent like I want to experience that now like firsthand just like because I can really tell like it's really moved you in a way and I'd like to also like experience that as well yeah it's 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 really it's phenomenal language and it's you know, language is, is language is so important, and we we don't. I don't think most people think about language as a skill that they need to practice or that they need to get better at. The way that they think of, I don't know, math or basketball or mm-hmm. you know, weightlifting. It's really any skill, any skill yeah. set. And, and language, the ability to use language in an effective way is a skill that needs to be cultivated. And, you know, with nothing against STEM education, because sure, yeah. obviously, like, you know, people in STEM fields are the reason that we're getting a vaccine, you know, like, mm-hmm. but there's also, there is, with an emphasis on STEM education, means some in some some places and sometimes a, a de-emphasis on humanities and and, when and what we, makes us human yeah and what really makes us human is the ability to use language and to tell stories and if you don't cultivate that skill if you don't I really think it makes you less human I think that you are missing out on an essential part of the human experience if you don't read literature and you don't if you don't think about language and that's not just english language the english language is not just shakespeare i think it's all languages and all literature you have to encounter stories and you have to listen to and tell stories and you have to figure out how to use language effectively because that is what is the essential difference between humanity and animals you know Mm -hmm. and i think that if you miss out on that if you miss out on on literature and theater and stories and language and poetry that you're missing out on part of what makes us human um that would be like going through life without ever falling in love it would be like going through life without ever having a family or friends like it's just such a such an important part of what makes that makes us human that gives us gives meaning to our lives and i just you know for me 
Shakespeare is is my inspiration. That's the that's the language and the art that gives my life meaning. And it doesn't have to be for everyone. I mean, you know, what like if you're really into Shelley or or Byron or Toni Morrison or Langston Hughes or you know like any of a hundred poets in a hundred different languages that I don't speak, you know, uh, Rimbaud or whoever, you know, like wh whatever whatever that whatever that artist, whatever that poet is for you, mm -hmm. you know, just give your whole heart to it, man. Um, and, and, you know, give Shakespeare a try. Cause it, it, you know, he might be the one for you just like he was the one for me, but that, that, that sense of the importance of language is, is what makes Shakespeare special. Cause Shakespeare, most of his plays the plots are recycled from folk tales and poems and other plays, histories. You know, most of the, the events that Shakespeare depicts on his plays, the plots aren't his. They aren't, they aren't originally his, you know, like King Lear was, was already a, a, was a, King Lear was a mythic king in prehistoric England. Um, he may or may not have been an actual person, but he was a, like, a mythic like legendary king from mm -hmm. you know prehistoric britain and so like the story of king lear wasn't something that shakespeare made up but he infused that story with such amazing poetry and language and that that's that that emphasis on the language is what really makes shakespeare special and i think if you want to learn how to use language effectively and appreciate beautiful language you need to go to, to literature and poetry and theater. Um, for me, that 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 is Shakespeare. Yeah, I think that's really well said, and I totally agree with you. I think there's definitely uh, a part of humanity that you are missing out if you aren't like experiencing like some of these classical pieces of great literature and these plays and it is really beautiful because a lot of these plays like you can you can see like human nature and as you said it was like it's overemphasized obviously but like you can like you can see a part of yourself in each one of these characters and like some characters you can relate more than others but like at the end of the day like you can it's just beautiful to see human nature like portrayed in front of you and be like oh yeah I've done that before I've definitely felt that way and it's just like so relatable and that's like what we're looking as humans we're looking to connect with one another we're looking for things to relate with like we're, we're just naturally like looking for community and to be accepted and like it's so much a, it's such a better experience whenever you're able to like relate with a character whether that be in a movie or a play and that whenever you are able to relate with them it's like just makes it that more personable and meaningful to yourself and I think Shakespeare does a wonderful job with that um, because like each one of his characters is so different and has so many complexities that like you're bound to relate to them somehow you know um, so I think that is also like something really beautifully done by Shakespeare is like that relatable aspect of it and that's all we that's like one thing that we as humans always look for is looking to like make friends and relate with people at a certain level you know and find that community so I think that's another aspect of Shakespeare and, and plays in general that people don't really actively think about when they think of a play they think of like oh it's a play like that's what people did like way back when like oh, we don't really do that anymore and like but like, no, like there was a reason why they were so popular back then. Like there's, there's still something great about them that we should think about. Um, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, I mean, like you said, the Shakespeare is so relatable. I mean, it's been, you know, 400 years since he died and still, you know, it's been 400 years since he died in another country and I, like I'm a I'm a high school dropout and a hairstylist, and somehow this man who died 400 years ago in another country has had 
more of an impact on my life than any, any human being I've ever encountered. And so that has to mean something. That has to count for something that, that 400 years after he died, I can't encounter a meaningful moment in my life that doesn't somehow trigger a Shakespeare quote in my head. Mm. Everything that happens to me, every meaningful experience I have in my life, I think Shakespeare, you know, when something bad happens, I think, you know, a Shakespeare quote. And if something good happens, I think a Shakespeare quote. And if I'm in love and I'm, or I'm angry, you know, like everything that happens to me, I find that Shakespeare gave voice to my feelings in a, in a better and more profound way than I could do it myself. Um, and there is, there is something special in feeling like, feeling like, somebody else has felt this mm. and somebody else has gone through it and lived through it and and come out on the other side you know like it gives me a little bit of hope to feel like somebody else has felt the kind of loss you know mm-hmm. or the, the kind of pain or the discouragement or the misery or the happiness and the joy and the exaltation and the ecstasy somebody else has felt that and there's a sense of community that that comes from knowing you're not alone yeah like you're, not, you're not the only person to have felt this thing somebody else has felt it you know and that's that's a that's an important that's an important thing for for me at least yeah for sure and i think that's an important thing that for a lot of people i think we're always looking to relate to one another in some sort of personal way um but anyway um thank you for having that awesome conversation i didn't i didn't know what to expect going into it but like i never know what to expect going into these things i'm always surprised at how like afterward i am always moved in some which way and i've really enjoyed talking with you um we're definitely gonna have to do this again because there's like so much more i'd love to like dive in and like just dissect your brain um but I really enjoyed talking to you. Um, thank you for coming on the show. Um, before we leave, do you have, this is your moment, Mac. Do you have anything to say to the world? Do you have the platform? Any like piece of advice or just anything? Read more Shakespeare. Read more Shakespeare, guys. You heard it first, read more Shakespeare. Um, so it's been lovely to have you on the show. We'll definitely have to keep in touch and have you back on sometime soon. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. All right, thank you.